when was the last time you took a really big test? In this episode, we're going to speak with James Martin, an instructional designer at Global Campus, and he's going to tell us a little bit about low-stakes testing, how that's beneficial to your students, and how you can incorporate it in your class. ever remember a time when you were a student or even as a professional person getting ready to take a high stakes test that either made you really nervous or you ended up doing worse on because it was a lot of information that you were covering, but also because you were so nervous you couldn't really concentrate on the material? Yes. Uh, first the ACT, then the GRE, um, all of those big bubble dot tests where you read through some book for, you know, the 60 days before you take it and then go in and only have, well, you're stuck there for hours in an artificial environment. You can't look anything up. You can't, um, it's, yeah, I hate those things. I've never been a, I've never been a big fan. And that's what, when you say test, that's what I think of is that. And I think a lot of students, when they hear you say test, that's what they think of. And tests don't have to be like that. They don't. but And those large tests like that can really induce a lot of test anxiety and cause poor performance. And then also, even though you've been reading that big book for 60 days, how much of that can you remember now? Absolutely. Exactly. So, James, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I've been here at Global Campus for about a year, just a little over a year. I started in December 2021, and most of my career has been in higher education, usually in educational technology or instructional design or some mishmash of those things. I've also taught on the side as an adjunct quite a bit, both face-to-face -face and, and online, usually asynchronous online. So um, after, uh, after a bunch of years of doing that, I went corporate for about nine years, and made some money as a web designer first or web developer. And then uh, I ran a creative services department and um, ran internal comms uh, for a, a big company. And then toward the end, I was doing a bunch of media and social media analytics. And then uh, COVID happened and I lost my fancy schmancy corporate gig. And in desperation, I turned uh, kind of back to my roots in some way and ended up teaching high school for a year and a half, uh, which was horrible. And... Uh, <laughs> And then I, I found this job at the U of A, you know, in instructional design. So I, I came back into that. So that's 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 me professionally speaking. Uh, outside of work, I've got a wife and uh, a son who just turned 15 and dogs and cats. And I like to read and watch movies. And I'm a musician. So when I do have some downtime, I hang out in my tiny little studio recording, you know, mad crazy stuff. So, James, the other day you and I were talking about low stakes testing and how much you love it. So tell me a little bit about why you believe low stakes testing is really important in courses. So one of the things I often recommend to instructors is they include weekly reading quizzes over whatever text they're assigning. Um, but before I do that, I, I kind of walk them through the value of the thing. So culturally, I think uh, we do a bad job with testing 
a lot of, when I say test, in fact, you know, you're immediately going to think about the ACT or the GRE or some awful thing that you take once and it's an hours long commitment. And then if you have a bad day, you do a bad job and it's not really um, reflective of your ability. It's, it's reflective of a lot of things. Um, so I, I think we do testing wrong in a lot of ways. And we, and even in academic classes, sometimes, uh, you know, I know when I was in college, some classes would be based around really two huge exams. Uh, and those were most of your grade. That's not what I'm recommending in any class or what I would recommend in any class. What I'm talking about here, uh, what I do recommend, and there's good science to reasons to uh, back this up are regular, short, low stakes, objective quizzes. Let's call them quizzes. It seems less scary if they're quizzes. And I started doing this back when I was teaching online. Um, I taught American Lit and my discussions weren't doing so well. There weren't, you know, there wasn't a lot of engagement there. And the reason there wasn't a lot of engagement there is, you know, obviously anybody that ever taught lit is people weren't doing the reading or they weren't doing it in time for that week's discussions. So we weren't having anything going on in the discussion forums. So I started creating these uh, short quizzes. Most of them were just five questions, multiple choice so that the, you know, the LMS could grade them for me automatically. And, you know, if I kept those around the next term, I would expand them sometimes to 10 questions, but I kept it in that kind of like five to 10, maybe as many as 15 for a longer thing. And, um, those were, well, you can cover a lot of ground in 10 questions so that, that I could, I could ask a question from the first page of the story, the last page of the story and going all the way through it. So I could tell as an instructor, whether they were getting it or not, um, or where they dropped off. And, you know, and if every, if everybody did a bad job on it, then I, it was usually just a bad quiz because there's an art and a science to making quizzes that are fair. And I really wanted them to be fair. I didn't want them to be tricky. Another bit with reading quizzes in general is there's a tendency to want to play gotcha with students, but that doesn't help. There's no pedagogical reason to try to trip people up. So, um, what I wanted was to give them some skin in the game because students are, are practical, especially non-traditional students. They put their time where they have to put their time. And if you don't make it to where they're putting time in your class that they need to, then they won't. And that's reasonable. I think they have to divide their time somewhere. So the whole idea of adding some accountability to the things I'm asking them to read was a way to, um, get that base level understanding of a text so that we could have a discussion about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we've all experienced those funky tests, <laughs> ones where you feel like you have crammed and crammed and crammed your brain full of everything that you can, and you're probably still going to fail it. Uh, <laughs> and there have been some studies done to show that huge tests, there is not a lot of retention with huge tests, you know, there was there were some studies done where students took um, an end of course exam, and then retook that same exam three months later after the summer, and they scored significantly worse over that summer. They're not retaining information. Yeah, and what was cool about what was cool about the the science once I, I, I started all this just intuitively. I was like, it just made sense. I mean, we've all had teachers who quizzed us over stuff to make sure that we read it. So I like, I was just taking that idea and running with it, but in an electronic version where it could grade it for me, which was nice. But 
the um, what I discovered later when I dig dug into the science of it is that it increases retention. So, you know, if you do that same sort of experiment where you test somebody right after the test and then you test them again a week later and a week after that to see how memory falls off, you you stay higher on the curve over time if you've been quizzed over it. Just the mere act of having to answer some questions. And I don't know if the effect there is that it sharpens your mind to know that you're going to have to quiz over something or if just the mere act of taking the quiz helps solidify it in your head, regardless of how you do. But whatever the case, the the effect is they retain that information longer if you quiz them over it. So in a way, you know, you're doing them a favor on that level too. You're increasing retention simply by, you know, having some really what seems like a cinchy, easy, objective quiz. And I wanted to be easy. I even told the kids, I'm like, I said, I would never ask you about a character's eye color unless it's relevant to the plot. And it almost never is. There's, I can think of one novel where that's the case. Uh, in every other case, it's not, it's not necessary. So again, it's not a matter of gotcha. It's a matter of, um, of, of taking advantage of this mechanism that exists, uh, for retention that, so shorter quizzes over long tests help students retain better. But what about it being low stakes? Why is that better for students? Well, that gets rid of a lot of the problematic side effects of tests. You know, you don't, there's, there's nobody gets test anxiety over a five-question um, objective, easy quiz, right? And so the nice thing about making them simple is what you're trying to do here is not so much assess their knowledge, though you get to do that too, but to uh, to just encourage them to do the, the thing you want them to do, which is to read. And for the students who don't take you seriously, they're not going to bomb too many quizzes before they, you know, say, oh, he means it. He really, I actually have to read these things. So then they start reading. So you kind of, there's a gentle uh, punishment when they, when they don't, um, take you seriously and read the stuff. But eventually that, that goes away really quickly. You get, you get out of that the first week or so. And then what, what you find is just a higher level of compliance. Now, I mean, you could abuse that too, I guess, but like, you know, in this case, you know, it was just that base level of reading that you needed in order to have a, a useful discussion about the things we were talking about. I think that's, what's interesting is, is keeping that from being arbitrary questions. I mean, they're objective, but they're sort of pointless. They're just, did you read it? Ha ha, gotcha. You didn't read it. Right. So by not doing that, um, you, if the students fail it, it's a consequence. It's not a punishment. It's just, that's the natural consequence of them not doing the reading. Yeah. yeah. You build trust with them in that way because you're really rewarding them. You know, they get to take their little and, you know, the, and this whole thing, so low stakes, too, in terms of their overall grade, like all of these quizzes together, regardless of how many of them you have, might be 5% of their grade, maybe 10% of their grade, something like that. So you're still going to grade them on those higher level um, tasks where they're assimilating things and using their creativity. But you can't do those things unless you've got the base level covered, right? If they don't know what happened in the text, then they can't ping off that into interesting directions, right? So this, this lays the foundation. So even in a, even in an upper level class, you can, you can quiz people on their reading. You're, you're doing them a favor if you do it, because then they, um, they show up. Well, yeah. If they show up to a task without the supplies, they can't do the task. And if they're not doing the reading, they're not getting the supplies. It's sort of... <laughs> Quizzes are also a good barometer of class performance. If everyone fails the the quiz, then that either means it's a bad quiz or it means that they didn't get it, 
right? In the same way, if you quiz people and one student does very poorly, then that could be a useful indication that that student's struggling with something, either with that content or with something outside of that content. And that gives you an opportunity for that regular and substantive interaction that I'm sure we'll be talking about on one of these podcasts. Uh, that gives you an indicator that that student might need you to reach out and say, hey, what, what happened with, with this quiz? So they give you some data. You don't have that. You can't just stare into people's eyes and know whether they got it or not. It would be great if you could. It feels like you can, but you can't. So giving them these assignments as an instructor also gives you some useful indicators of what's going on with your class in terms of uh, the knowledge they're picking up or failing to. And doing them more frequently means that you're catching things before the very end. Yeah. And I started doing this when I was when I was doing it. Um, and, and I recommend this, too, for people that want to get started with it is uh, try to do one a week. You know, uh, you might give them several reading assignments in a week. Just pick one of them and do a quiz over it. And that what gives you an easy way to build into it. And it's still like in a full semester. That's what, 15 quizzes. That can take some time. Building good quizzes is not um, not easy. But if you make them short and you make them um, objective and not tricky, uh, then those are easier to build than tricky ones or, or, or elaborate ones. Um, and five doesn't seem like um, enough questions, but it is enough questions. You keep it from being onerous. You, you give them your, again, you're trying to just reward a certain sort of behavior and gently punish uh, the lack of it. So that's what they're for. They're not really to try, did they get every detail of this piece? You don't care. You want them to have read it so that they can build on that in other sorts of assignments. So I'd start with one a week and then eventually you can build it all the way out in my, in my own you know, teaching, eventually I had a quiz over everything. If I gave you something to read, there was going to be a quiz over it. And they knew that. And it helped. You just had to read stuff. You couldn't like get around it. Um, now, there are kids who like, okay, it's only 5% of my grade. You know, I'll do without 5% of my grade. You know, so you can decide where you're going to adjust that value. But those kids, I mean, you know, you can't reach everybody. <laughs> the rank and file we just say, oh, this is something I have to do now instead of something that I might potentially blow off or that I'll do sometimes, but not other times. And since you've got a date on it, you know, then you've got, you know, they've crossed that threshold at a certain date. So then you can plan your discussions and other kinds of assignments around their baseline knowledge of the text that you assigned. After all, as an instructor, you decided this material was important. You've put together what you think of as essential readings for this topic. Um, wouldn't it be great if they read them? Well, and that comes back to, too, if you can't come up with the things that they really need to know in that quiz, maybe you need to rethink whether what you are assigning to them is actually necessary or, or is it just you really liked it? Yeah. I was guilty of that all the time. Sure. Like a lot of instructional design things, it really just it's it's a matter of being more uh, thoughtful and methodical about the stuff that goes into your class. And so, you know, again, like you said, if you if you can't think of five questions to ask about this, then maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe you just take it off the list and put something else on there. So you mentioned that if you assigned it by the end of this uh, experiment that you started in your class, uh, if you assign that reading, they were going to have a quiz on it. So how did you construct that? Did you have a quiz for every single assignment as an individual quiz or did you create a quiz that quizzed them on all the readings at one time? 
yeah, there's there's a case to be made for cumulative quizzing, but um, I, I kept it individual. It was just easier for me. That way, also, when I went back and looked at my class, you know, between semesters, it was easy to look at this quiz for A Rose for Emily and see if it was any good or not. And I was like, look at it. And it's like, oh, wait, that's kind of a tricky question. Or, okay, this is five. This is kind of a long story. I'd like to add some questions and make this one a little longer. And over like really long texts, you can always quiz by chapter, of course. Or if it's a novel, you can quiz by chapters or sections or whatever's relevant. Or you can, you know, and you don't have to cover, there's not, you don't have to cover everything, right? Um, like a lot of times um, for really long, you know, because I was teaching novels and things like that. So sometimes I'd have an initial quiz to get them started that might cover the first handful of chapters. And then I might quiz some of the middle chapters and then I might quiz, you know, the final couple of chapters. So I didn't necessarily cover the entire work, but I did like, I was real, I was thoughtful about where in the work I was because I didn't want there to be 10 questions on the last page, you know, or on the first, I wanted to spread them out through it because I was looking to try to like drag them along through the text. I mean, that was the goal. So if you keep the goal in mind, then the way you construct it is easier. I imagine that allows, um, as an instructor for you to be able to pace the class better. When you have everybody moving at that same, you're checking to see that everybody's at the same spot. Absolutely. We just had richer conversations in the, in the discussion boards. And those were like in, in those classes, that was just participation stuff. So it's like I had a, a layer of quizzing and a layer of participation, but the participations were better because, you know, people had done the reading. Not that, not that you'll get everybody. Nothing works for everybody. So, James, you talked about how you started doing this in your class, but... I know since then, you've also read a book that you said helped you feel validated in what you did in your class. So after I've been doing this for a while, uh, I was reading a book just for professional development as an ID here at, at Global Campus. And it's called Make It Stick by Peter Brown, Mark McDaniel, and Henry Rodinger. It's from 2014, and it's on Harvard UP. And it's a book that gets kicked around instructional design circles quite a bit. There's a handful of books out there that people say, oh, you should read this. And so it was just on my list of things to read at some point. Um, the subtitle is The Science of Successful Learning, uh, which gives you some idea of what it's about. So it's, it's rather unlike most pedagogy books. Um, Brown uh, worked as a management consultant, and he's also a novelist. McDaniel and Rodinger are both psychologists and researchers at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, McDaniel directs uh, something called Circle, which is the Center for Creative Research on Cognition, Learning, and Education. And uh, the other researcher guy runs something called the Memory Lab. Uh, so they're they're both involved in, they're both curious about learning and retention. Um, they're not educators per se, but they're, you know, they're psychologists and, uh, and psychological researchers. So a lot of the stuff in their book, the book covers a lot of topics. Uh, some of those are about things you might've heard of, like the Dunning-Kruger effect and uh, the ways that memory, you know, doesn't work or, uh, your perception of expertise can be off, uh, metacognition stuff, but like the early chapters of the book are a lot about testing. And I feel like they, they spend some time on it, making the case for it. And I've, I've come around to their way of thinking that testing gets a bad rap because we do it so badly. <laughs> and because, uh, we do it in these high stakes, um, you know, one shot, uh, ways, uh, which is not what they encourage, uh, because as Amelie pointed out, that doesn't help pedagogically speaking. It doesn't help you learn stuff. Uh, it just shows that you were able to get over a certain mark uh, on a certain day uh, and prove your worth. But, um, you know, our my goal wasn't that. 
Uh, and I'd say, you know, most instructors goal isn't that what they want is they want their students at the end of the day to learn the stuff that they sat down in front of them because they know it's important because they know their field. So this just gives you a way to, um, help ensure that that happens. Teaching is the one profession where we job shadow somebody for 15 years. You have watched teachers your whole life. And the main way that they have done things for most of us is through testing. And so it's natural, I think, for teachers, to, for instructors to fall into that. I'll give them a big test. That's what we do. We do big tests. And this is, but this is close. This is little tests. It's little, <laughs> it's little, little tests. tests. It's baby tests. So it's not completely outside the the wheelhouse. It, it's No. It's, it felt like cheating at first. I thought, <laughs> you know. And I did it in my high school classes too. And they were like, really? It's five, it's five question quiz. I'm like, yeah, it's five question quiz. There's a method to my madness. I didn't go into it like we have here. I just want to make sure you read stuff, you know? So yeah, that's what we would do. Um, but yeah, yeah, it seems rinky dink, five questions, especially for a grad student or something, but it's not. The science is there to back it. You know, uh, the intuitive feel of it doesn't really matter here. If the goal is get people reading the stuff so that you can have good conversations or so they can write papers on the stuff or do any of that higher level stuff, um, then this works and it's easy to implement. Uh, every LMS has the ability to uh, create multiple choice questions and auto grade them for you. So that's, it's teacher friendly. That's uh, something you don't have to deal with. You can deal with, you know, giving the feedback on, you know, essays and stuff like that in other assignments. Uh, but it's okay to have this too. Sometimes I think we get in the, in a mistaken idea that if it's a higher level class, that everything in it is higher level, but there's, there's base level knowledge type stuff that low on the Bloom's taxonomy list, those things you have to understand too. You know, if you don't understand when the civil war was you can't talk about it in a useful way right you have to know these things i i really think that that's something people misunderstand about blooms a lot of times is that um it's not that once you get to these higher level class all you're doing is creating and analyzing and evaluating it's that you get to that point in the class uh, because you're starting to analyze some of that foundational knowledge, but you have to go through the other steps to make sure that students are with you and understand that foundational knowledge because they can't analyze what they don't understand. There you go. Um, there's, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of esoteric knowledge in, in higher level classes there, you know, it's knowledge you don't get to in the, in the lower level classes, but it's still knowledge. You still have to commit it to memory and have it as a working part of your mental models of the world. So uh, this just covers that, this quizzing bit uh, covers that, not drawing inferences, not, you know, doing any of that higher level stuff, just knowing what happened. And it works. I've mentioned it in the context of stories because that's my background, but you can do it with anything. You can do it with any nonfiction piece too. You can do it with criticism. You can do it with videos for that matter. I've never taken it quite that far, but that's something that you can totally do. If you assign video content, then you can write quizzes over video content. Um, so anyway, it's a simple idea with broad applicability. And I would encourage anybody building an online class or revising an existing one to take advantage of it because, you know, just baby steps, start by adding a quiz over something you gave them the first week or two of classes and build it out from there. You don't have to do it all in one day 
or all ready for one term because you're, you know, you're going to teach this class over and over as you as you look at it for revision. Take a look at your text and say, oh, I never bothered, I never gave them a quiz over this. Why don't I build a little quiz over this? That'll make it you know just that much better, that much more effective. I love it. Absolutely love it. How would you define low stakes testing for instructors? Um, low stakes in this case to me is five questions or 10 questions or five or 10 points. And the whole thing is only five or 10% of your overall grade. Why is low stakes testing important to include in online courses? In online courses. Um, engagement is, you know, we're always looking for engagement online. And sometimes we think that means, you know, um, all kinds of really interesting ways of interacting online. And it does mean that, but, but this is also a type of engagement. You're, you're getting them to engage with the text so that then they have knowledge that they can use in other parts of the class, including in online discussions. What are the best ways for instructors to incorporate low stakes testing in their courses? Just take advantage of that quiz tool that's built into Blackboard uh, and don't be shy about making it um, just a bunch of multiple choice questions. Uh, there's no reason that you need to be using this as a feedback mechanism. It's already going to be a feedback mechanism in that you'll see how the class performs on that on that quiz and you'll see how individual people perform. So it's going to give you some data, but this isn't a thing where you want them to draw an inference and then you have to spend time like giving them feedback. Save that feedback for papers and projects and, and presentations. Use this as just a baseline, really simple, objective thing. What should instructors do if students, a lot of students in their class, fail the quiz or fail a particular question? Yeah, so uh, quiz design is deceptively simple. It's easy to ask a question that you, and this, this is actually one of the topics that gets mentioned later on in uh, Make It Stick. Uh, you, you've all had that that uh, math teacher who was so good at, at math, obviously gifted, but it could not get it across to you because they couldn't think with that beginner mind. Well, it's really easy as an instructor, you already know these texts probably intimately, whatever you're assigning. You've read them lots of times. You're very familiar with what's in them. It can be hard sometimes to, to do a quiz that is fair to someone brand new to the text. So my first, you know, not that I'm all that humble, but my first approach, if someone, if the whole class bombs a test, I think it's probably the test, you know. So I'm, I'd want to go back and look at it and make sure these really are questions that that people can get on a first read. And that's tricky. It would be great if you could find somebody, some dear colleague who'd be willing to read the thing for the first time and happens to not have read it, whatever it is, and take a quiz over it. That would be helpful. But you can usually suss it out. You can usually look at it and go, oh, I, that's, kind of, that's kind of obscure. That's not really an important takeaway for someone just reading it. And, think, and you know, there's students. That think, think what should a person come away from this text knowing if they read it with, 80% of their available attention, you know, because that's more real world. Um, don't assume that they read it with a fine tooth comb or anything, because then you're going to get in gotcha land. And the point here is not to build ill will with your students. The point here is to reward your students for doing what you wanted them to do, to reward the behavior that you're asking for, which is to read the stuff. Yeah. So you would say a key part of low stakes testing is to one, evaluate yourself and how you are assessing students, uh, but also it's a tool of building trust with students in the class. Absolutely. 
And it's weird that it would be, but it totally is. Um, they'll be on your side pretty quickly once they take a couple of really easy quizzes and, and realize that what you care about is them reading stuff, not trying to find some way to make sure they don't get full credit. Let them get full credit. Let everybody in the class get 100% on every quiz. And yeah, it's only going to be 5 or 10% of their overall grade. It doesn't matter. They'll feel like you gave them a big gift. It's probably especially helpful when you actually come back to that information that you quizzed them on in the discussion or in the rest of the course or in that, because then it definitely isn't a gotcha. They needed it. You see where it is. That's right. You see where it is. There you go. And that would be the ultimate test of was it, was it a good question, right? Does it build into the rest of your class in any, in any useful way? Thanks for joining us today on the Pedagogy Toolkit. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.